Hello, hello. You are listening to the Montpelier Happy Hour on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. I am your host, Olga Peters, and my co-host and collaborator and troublemaker extraordinaire is Emily Kornheiser. Hi, Emily. Hi, Olga. I love that new introduction. Don't you Thank like you. that? I do. <laughs> I think so, it very much reflects the spirit that we've been going into this with. I know. Democracy may on the surface may seem very serious, but under the surface, there's all sorts of things happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in that spirit, in about, oh, 15 minutes or so, we will have Peter Elwell, the town manager for Brattleboro on the show, and he will be talking about that intricacy of self-governance and what happens at the local level and the authority that local governments have versus state versus federal and how do people access each level of of that governance i'm i'm curious emily we haven't had a drink in a while despite this being the happy hour i know we changed it to two and you're not supposed to drink till five but it's politics which makes me want to drink uh (laughs) what what drink do you have for us today what i have for us today and that i feel like i've been talking about so much lately that maybe other people have heard of me talking about it already is the joy of canned wine this i'm surprised this is only a thing now don't you think this should have been around in like the 1800s (laughs) (laughs) i do and maybe it was and it just sort of fell out of favor i don't know but especially the joy of canned sparkling rosé. And so there's a few reasons that I think these are wonderful. One, you can bring it anywhere, to a picnic, to the beach, to food truck roundup. They sell it at food truck roundup. I would not bring my own wine to food truck roundup (laughs) because that would be against the rules. And I only break rules that I'm interested in changing. And then um, it's also a fun size serving. You can share it with one other person and still quite safely do anything. And it just feels sort of bright and cheery in summertime. So I like that too. It's sort of low obligation. I've just been really into the canned wine. And there's a canned cider rosé that I've also been loving. Have you had the rosé cider? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really, I put that in the same category as the sparkling rosé, canned sparkling rosé, which is also delicious. Yeah. Yes, I must admit, I pet sat some kitties for my cousins. And one of them is elderly. And so she's starting to have some litter box issues. And my cousin was feeling very bad that I might have to deal with litter box issues. So uh, she left me some rose uh, that the cider in a can rosé just as compensation thanks cousin Mm -hmm. it's funny we have a friend that we cat sit for sometimes and i always sort of look at their elaborate cheese selection in their fridge when i check on the cat but i never actually take the cheese i just look at all the amazing cheeses they have that might not be relevant quite to happy (laughs) hour but it does seem to you know wine and cheese yeah wine and cheese Mm -hmm. so today i have i'm drinking a mocktail oh what's your mocktail my mocktail is an energy drink and cola Ooh, that sounds disgusting it's really awful it's really awful but it is that type of drink that when you are sitting through a three-hour select board meeting and the same person has gotten up eight times in a row to say the same thing. And you're like, I just got to get through. This is your go-to mocktail. Sustaining through democracy, through chemicals. Exactly, because 
even when it's dull and even when you want to just like throw yourself out a window and you will choke down an energy drink and cola, democracy's worth it. Showing up for democracy is always worth it. T-shirts. T-shirts. <laughs> Happy hour T-shirts. <laughs> I have one more mocktail comment, if I may. You may. Last night, um, I was in White River Junction with my son, and he ordered a mocktail at a restaurant, and it was had something called watermelon syrup in it, and after he tasted it, he said, I should have known that watermelon syrup was not going to taste like watermelon, and it did not. <laughs> and so I would just like to warn all of our listeners that unless it's watermelon fresh squeezed juice, it probably will taste like watermelon bubblegum and not oh. like watermelons. That's disappointing. Yeah, so that's if people learn nothing else today. It's got to be fresh. It's got to be fresh for that watermelon flavor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not so fresh like democracy, which is an old idea. What do you think is the new fresh democracy? I think the new fresh democracy is about representation. I think we're really starting to get our heads around representation in a much more nuanced way than, say, the founding generation did. Do you know that phrase, the founding generation? Mm, no, I'm not familiar Well, with people that. talk about the founding fathers. Right. But, you know, there was some women involved. There was. And when people, whenever I hear anyone say the founding generation, it doesn't feel like just a linguistic twist to me. I, like, feel my body settle differently. Like, oh, my people were part of that. Mm-hmm. I could have been there. I could have been represented. It's very, the founding generation. So I think. Yeah, I like that. So I think we're talking about representation and access to democracy in a very different way. I think we're talking about how people run and why people run in a different way. And so that for me is like, that's the freshness of democracy. Mm -hmm. Rethinking representation. Well, and I think that reminds me too of when we had Mike Donahue on, uh, Mm -hmm. what, two weeks ago. And he talked about that flow chart that so many people, when they have, um, they think of, the government in their head they have the president at the top and then like citizens at the bottom Mm -hmm. and he says that really needs to be flipped on its head that it needs to be citizens at the top president at the bottom because in our democracy when it's working right Mm -hmm. everyone's working for the good of the community absolutely and i think that's one of the things we're looking forward to talking to peter about today is about this idea of how what government's responsibility is in this idea around transparency and access Mm -hmm. um but and he just got here and i'm not going to ask him he's looking at i would be feeling a little bewildered that a question was just thrown at me the moment (laughs) i sat down we're actually going to go to a commercial break as we transition to peter so we can welcome him in make sure his headphones are working so hang tight everybody the montpelier happy hour will return in a moment WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And Emily, I should remind everyone, even though we're all adults here, that the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and the guest, not the station. And you can always find us streaming on the web at wvew.org. I don't think we have any opinion, so I don't think you need to give that warning, Olga. Of course not. No. We're just little petunias in the onion patch. <laughs> <laughs> so, is that an expression <laughs> that people use? Uh-huh. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited. I've never been a petunia in an oven patch. See, this is such a great show. We learn something every day. 
So here we are on the Montpelier Happy Hour. You can find us on Facebook at the Vermontitude Facebook page. You can find us at SoundCloud. Also Vermontitude. You can find me, Emily Kornheiser, on my website, emilykornheiser.org, or on Facebook or Twitter at Emily Kornheiser. Also on Instagram, which I've been enjoying as summer winds up. You can find me on Facebook. <laughs> you can find me at the Commons. I do not have the social media presence that a cool, hip podcaster is supposed to have, but I'll get there. And we're still looking for help with a yes. cool, hip podcasting social media presence. If anyone wants to step up and throw a few hours of their time our way, we uh, maybe we'll buy you a can of wine for your trouble. Mm-hmm. Or cider. Yeah. <laughs> or make you a mocktail. But we promise it won't be the energy drink and cola. That's, that's only for the long haul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Emily, what's your takeaway from today's conversation? <sighs> My takeaway is um, a lot of people are trying really hard to make this democracy thing work. Mm-hmm. That's really meaningful to me, and I need to keep on reminding myself about that. I want everyone to have a minute in their heart about that, that it often feels so hard, especially lately. Mm-hmm. I think there's a barometric pressure thing that's making even more suffering. I don't know. Um, But things feel really tense lately. And I just want to like spend a moment remembering that we have a lot of people trying really hard to make participation work, to make government work and to make governance work. And that's that matters to me. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of gratitude for that. Um, And I also really just still thinking about the sort of sticky wicket about how we have been devolving responsibility and have not devolved funding or power. Yeah. And so how do you know, how do citizens like really understand that, understand that like the money's at the federal government, but it's impossible to make change there. There's no money down here in the town, but it's like so easy to show up. Just like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a takeaway as much as like a cloud. Pondering. Yes. The two things that came up for me today is one is a very amazing piece, very simple, but very amazing piece of wisdom I received from the former town manager, Barbara Sondag, who said to me once, and it was a piece of wisdom she got from her mentor, um, said to me once, she says, you know, you can never control when someone enters the conversation. And so sometimes if if I'm sitting in a meeting and I'm like, this person does, where has this person been for the last year and a half? It's because we all enter the democratic process or the policymaking process when we're ready to and not before and not after. And I think we always, when we're, when it's getting tense and it's getting boring even, we need to remind ourselves of that. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Barb. Um, The other thing this brought up for me was, and I don't have the article in front of me, so I'm just going to really paraphrase it. Paul Heinz at 7Ds did probably a year, maybe two years ago, a deep dive on a lot of the nonprofits operating in Vermont. Mm -hmm. And my biggest takeaway, and I keep mulling this, and it goes to what I think you're saying about authority. Mm -hmm is he mentioned how many of the social things that used to be taken care of by either local or federal government or even state government has been shifted over to nonprofits. Mm-hmm. And I just keep coming back to that because it's, to me, it's like, well, is that the most efficient? Maybe that's the more efficient way to do things. 
And in a state where we have so many nonprofits, like what what does that mean for social services? Well, I think what it means for social services, and this is sort of getting back to this power, authority, transparency, what's the point of democracy Mm -hmm. thing, is that nonprofits are not required to have the level of public participation and transparency into their process and their decision making that government is. Mm-hmm. And so even the branch of the branch of government that funds and is accountable to with most of those nonprofits is also fairly sort of far off the transparency elected official side of things. Right. It's the administrative branch. And so the more we push off that responsibility onto nonprofits and onto the charity sector, the more it will be controlled by the people with the money rather than the people with the voices. And the more money will become to be equated with voices. Well, and it also, I I could see it would create a greater disconnect too by the people who are doing the work on the ground and the people making the policy and the people making the money. Absolutely. Whereas in a local community that is really um, government is serving people's needs, the people whose needs are being served have an equal vote about those decisions as the people who are serving, as the neighbor, you know. Mm-hmm. Or the people doing the work and the people receiving the services. Yes, There's a, absolutely. Often a disconnect there yeah. as well. Yeah. So much to think about. I know. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) So, Emily, remind me, because you are so much better at this than I am. Oh, no. We're going into September. We are. And I believe James Haslin is going to be on the show next week. He is. So we are. We have two more guests coming on to really just sort of talk about this nuts and bolts part of democracy before we get into um, even deeper topics. (laughs) Um, so I like that deep geek. Yeah. Deep geek. So (laughs) next week we have James Haslam, who, um, was the longtime director of the Vermont worker center and then spun off a new organization rights and democracy who is trying to really build up a small P progressive grassroots campaign that really crosses topics in Vermont, but he's coming on, but just because he has, um, both national, international, and local experience, organizing people and getting people involved in politics. And so we're going to talk to him about that. Mm -hmm. And then? What I'm looking mm, forward to with this conversation with James is, and this I think is specific to Brattleboro, it may not be specific statewide Mm -hmm. or even nationwide, but one thing I find very interesting is we have a number of nonprofits in this town. We have a number of activist organizations in this town. And the narrative is they are the people who who have to create change mm-hmm. because the entrenched um, or the common narrative. I know this isn't the narrative for everybody because the entrenched power structures won't do it. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of truth there. But I think in Brattleboro, I sometimes see as a journalist watching the policymaking process, feel that as a group, maybe not as individuals, but as a group, the um, activism as a group is actually almost becoming another branch of the government in the sense of who's showing up, who's making policy, who's influencing policy. And I just, I don't know, I don't think that's good or bad. I just find that a very interesting power dynamic in this community specifically. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious to see what James 
might have seen in his experience when it comes to organizing people and, and creating change. Me too. I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm really looking forward to talking to him about how he sees the role of sort of intersecting across many different activist areas Mm -hmm. because I'm so aware when we're talking about government and governance that you can't focus on just one topic because they are all complex and mixed up together. And so building a culture of activism that acknowledges that complexity, I think Mm -hmm. is a very powerful tool. Oh, this is going to be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> and then the week after that, we get to finally talk to Jim Condos. I know. We're still working on, on scheduling him, but I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about elections, yeah. uh, transparency, open meetings, mm-hmm. open documents. One thing that is so fascinating, I find, in Vermont with its right-to-know laws is that it does have an ins- an assumption written into it, into these laws that, everything should be open and transparent unless there's an exemption or unless there's a reason to keep it Mm -hmm. under wraps. And here's the the ironic part. There are, I've lost count, but there are so many exemptions in the Vermont law that it's almost um, sort of defeated that bias towards transparency. Oh, that is, well, that's a conversation for another day, but I... um, (laughs) I think what Peter was saying about Dylan's rule and this pilot and the number of sort of exemptions that were starting to be added to that, I think the legislature, for a wide variety of reasons, um, often does a lot of sort of band-aids and pushpins and huh. like piling small things on top of each other uh-huh. and then doesn't have the time or the, f- for whatever reason, to go back and say like, oh, we've been putting masking tape layers onto this for 40 years what's left right what does this because every you know every year it's just one thing you're doing mm-hmm. but it you know it adds up so very good point Thanks. very good observation Thanks. thank you emily absolutely that is all the time we have for today but you can find this conversation will be podcasted online at the vermontitude soundcloud page later today and next week you can we will be returning with James Haslam. Take care, everybody. Have a good weekend. Bye, Emily. Bye, Olga.